It's the Real Faith for Real Life podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're continuing our series through the book of Hebrews, and today, it's all about angels and how they fit into the plan of God. Plus, we'll check in with current events to see how real faith intersects with real life. This is Real Faith for Real Life, a podcast from Cascade Fellowship in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Well, Eric, we always begin by checking in on the news. And, uh, you know, prominent in the news this week when we're taping this is, of course, Hurricane Ian and its aftermath. It's mm-hmm. the fifth strongest hurricane to make landfall in the U.S. That's what I was just reading. And the official forecast, you know, it had it tracking more toward Tampa until like 36 to 48 hours right before it hit Fort Myers. So a lot to talk about here in the news. Yeah, right. And you uh, lived in Florida, right, Bill? And uh, I, I guess I'm curious, did you ever experience a hurricane? Or, and what was it like if you did? Yes, we were there for 10 years and we had several hurricanes that were uh, set to make landfall right where we were. In fact, we had one that was forecast to become basically a category five and make direct uh, a direct hit. So uh, in the, the town where I was, the building codes were excellent the engineering was excellent with regard to water retention, detention, water management in general. So we didn't evacuate. Mm. We uh, we boarded up, which was really hard. It took a really long time, yeah. but we did it. And uh, and then the hurricane turned away and didn't even you know all that work. That's how they are, and that's what happened here in Hurricane Ian too. Just it's super hard to know if it's going to make a last minute turn or not. Yeah. yeah. And so these folks got a little bit blindsided, and man, just. You know, looking at the aftermath, it's really, um, really, really difficult to to see that on TV, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there are a bunch of different ways to uh, track a hurricane's strength and its severity. This week in the news, uh, we came across a particularly unexpected one, and this is called the (laughs) Waffle House Index. That's right. We're always on this podcast looking for the quirky side of news, uh, the fun side of news, and it's everywhere even in this story. Um, So it's a real thing. It doesn't sound real, but it's absolutely real. The Waffle House Index, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, Mm -hmm. they actually use Waffle House's status to service an unofficial shorthand for how bad a hurricane is, how much damage has been done to a particular area. So this started in 20, uh, 2004, 2004, I like to say, yeah. <laughs> when uh, a former FEMA administrator discovered that Waffle Houses were one of the last places to stay open and the first to reopen uh, after and you know during a hurricane. So in a blog post, he wrote, if we get there and the Waffle House is closed, that's really bad. <laughs> that's where FEMA needs to go to work. <laughs> so... It's just interesting, you know, they, they even have levels, official levels of the Waffle House Index. Yellow means there's a limited menu, <laughs> signaling there's <laughs> low supplies and power is from a generator. Red is the restaurant is closed, which indicates there is severe damage and unsafe conditions. So, I don't know, what do you think, Garrick? I think it's pretty cool that, you know, Waffle House takes pride in being, you know, an unofficial gauge because they're so good at being the last to close and the first to open. Yeah, I mean, last time I was in Florida, we stopped at a Waffle House, and it's just a fun experience. And so uh, it seems like they're just strategically placed, too. Mm -hmm, So you mm -hmm. could probably measure the path of the hurricane just as well based on what's open and the coloring. I wonder if there's a correlation, because we don't have a Waffle House here for 
two mo- two hours, I no, think. Yeah, they're they're a long ways away. And you know, to to be uh, fair, we also have never had a hurricane up here. So, <laughs> if you don't want hurricanes, don't get a Waffle House. Just right? stay away from the Waffle Houses. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. So, in our second uh, story today. We have more fast food news, right? We're talking McDonald's. They have a pretty smart plan to help people who burn their dinners. Tell us about that. Again, more quirky news, just our thing here, just the fun side of news. Uh, I saw this week uh, McDonald's is helping you if you need a a plan B for your dinner because you burned it. So they call it the McDelivery Detector, and it's a 3D printed object that looks like a Big Mac. Mm. (laughs) And... Basically, if you reduce your dinner to charcoal, it'll sense it and it'll send you a text message (laughs) asking if you want McDonald's to take it from there. And then if you do, it'll automatically place a delivery order for you. And it even uses the McDonald's jingle to confirm your order. So I guess that's one thing that's better than a normal smoke alarm and its usual sound. So what do you think, Eric? Would you be interested in getting a McDelivery detector? Uh, it feels a little weird. Um, I can't remember the last time I uh, fully burned a dinner, so I don't know if it would actually like detect that I need to order McDonald's. Um, but there have been times where I have cooked something and it has been terrible. So maybe if it could taste the food before, you know, <laughs> that might be a better way to do it. There you go. Um, I do also particularly <laughs> like that plan B uh, is also the first letter of burn. So it's like plan oh, burn, basically. Nice. So I think McDonald's is doing something really cool here. This is neat. Yeah. And it's only available right now in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And it's only available on a limited basis. So they're actually doing something really cool over there. You have to apply you use the McDonald's app and you tell them about your worst cooking incident. <laughs> so I don't know. McDonald's. McDonald's news. It's all we cover here. I know, Just the right? important stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> like, listen, I could use something like this, but we might have to wait a little bit for it to come overseas. I, over I'm ready. Whenever yeah. it comes, I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, it's time to get into our Bible study today. We're looking at the first two chapters of Hebrews and what they have to say about angels. So let's get into it. Okay, Bill, for our study today, we're looking at Hebrews 1 and 2, which compare Jesus to angels. Uh, And before we read, Bill, can you just give us some background to help us understand what we're reading and why this is so important? Yeah, so Hebrews is a great book. Um, It was addressed to first century Jewish converts to Christianity who it did not make their life better. It actually made their life quite difficult. And so they were considering turning back to what they came from, turning away from Jesus. And so this letter is all about helping them understand, you know, Jesus is not a take it or leave it option among many different options, but it's like Jesus is totally unique, totally the only way to salvation and uh, superior to anything and everything else that they are thinking about leaving him for. And the reason I think that's so important for us to study is that the church today seems to be on a parallel track where people are not understanding that Jesus is totally unique. Um, The theology is getting a little cloudy, Mm -hmm. and so people are walking away for a variety of other things that may seem, outwardly speaking, to be better options. Mm -hmm. Now, in this week's study in particular, we're talking about angels, and I don't know today that a lot of people are walking away from Jesus for angels, maybe a couple here and there, but... Uh, There's still an important parallel there, and the parallel is this, 
you know, angels are glorious beings, powerful beings, spiritual, you know, from the higher plane, you know, and there's a lot of interest in that today, uh, kind of religious, or excuse me, spiritual, but not religious kind of interest. And uh, of course, you know, just outwardly looking at just externals, it seems pretty tempting to follow a, a higher power that's so glorious and powerful and compared to Jesus, who was, you know, born poor and never really had a home or, mm. you know, much of anything. And then he died, mm, <laughs> you yeah. know? So that, that, that's the option that we have today and the option they had back then. Do I follow Jesus, this itinerant preacher who was crucified, or do I follow these majestic, glorious, powerful beings, you know? And so today's study is all about why it makes sense to follow Jesus instead of the alternative, in this case, angels. Right. And so on Sunday, you summed up these two chapters by using three uh, very specific words. Jesus is better than the angels because no angel has ever been called son of God, sovereign, or savior. Right, right. So we won't recap all that in detail. The sermon's out there online if you missed it and want to watch it, cascadefellowship.org. And, um, but that's the gist of these two chapters. There are 11 Old Testament quotations, and the author is telling the original audience that, hey, your own scriptures affirm that angels worship Jesus, not the other way around. Angels serve Jesus, not the other way around. And angels proclaim the good news about Jesus, not the other way around. He's not proclaiming good news about the angels, mm. right? So, in other words, he's just saying... Jesus is absolutely unique, especially with regard to that last one that, that he's alone called Savior. So no angel ever took on human flesh to die in the place of humans. And so if you really understand your fundamental problem as a human before God, you realize there's only one answer, and that is not an angel. It's Jesus, mm. the one who became human and died in your place, the, paying the penalty that sin had demanded. And so the way I put it on Sunday in Sunday's message is, hey, you need more than a guardian angel, right? Yeah, right. So you skipped four verses on Sunday, uh, and you promised that we'd look at them today in this podcast. So I'd love to read them right now, and then we can talk about them. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All right. So Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 says this, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding— and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. So, Bill, you talked about these verses with the staff this week at our staff meeting, and and you said these four could really make up a whole sermon in and of themselves. Uh, so what are you seeing in them? Yeah, well, for starters, I love that um, it's like a break in this dense theological discussion. It's a break for application. And I love that the author of Hebrews does that. Like we said last week, this is sort of like um, a, a sermon. This is a letter that contains a sermon. So he's kind of being like a preacher here. And he's alternating back and forth between explanation and exhortation. So this is the exhortation. This is like the practical, here's what you do with this. And I think he's saying, based on what we've been saying, what we've just been talking about, there is a clear way to respond 
And that is this, do not drift. So let's camp out on that word for a little bit, drift. So Eric, what do you think about when I talk about drifting? Yeah, um, I think about this past summer, I was at the beach. There were mm-hmm. some nice waves. I was out there uh, on a stand-up paddleboard and keeping an eye on the the umbrella that we had and just for a few minutes looked away and mm-hmm. it was way up the beach. I mm-hmm. was drifting way far away because of the way the waves were pulling me. It's kind of pulling me in a different direction. That's kind of what I think about when I think about drifting. Um, yeah, something, a force kind of pulling us into a, a direction that we don't quite expect. Yeah, yeah, I've had that happen too. If you don't look... And you're just enjoying floating. Mm-hmm. When you look up, you're like, where am I? Yeah, right. <laughs> and that can happen in boats too. We don't have a boat, but several people have taken us out on their boat. And on Lake Michigan, you know, it looks nice and flat and calm. But if you turn off the motor, you're, you're going wherever the current's taking you, right? Right. right. Um, so it's interesting. One thing that I notice about drifting is it happens without you even noticing. And you just end up wherever the currents take you. So... Uh, same if you're in a boat, same if you're floating in the ocean. It doesn't take any work to drift. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything to drift. And the author's application for us is to notice that. I think that's step one. We got to notice that about our spiritual lives. Mm-hmm. So notice that theologically. You don't have to do anything in particular to drift away from Jesus. It just happens um, easily and almost imperceptibly. So mm-hmm. if we're honest with ourselves, you know, we notice that we tend to be drawn to things other than Jesus unless we're really intentional about not, not letting that happen. Yeah, right. And maybe that's why the author of Hebrews says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. It seems like uh, he's saying that there's an antidote to drifting, and it's paying attention. Yeah, I love that. He doesn't just say there's a problem, but he gives us the solution. And both the problem and solution uh, use nautical imagery. So we already said drifting. It's like a picture of a boat floating off course. Well, paying attention is uh, in the Greek, uh, the original language. It's like mooring a ship, tying it down, anchoring it down. So those are your options. You can turn the motor off and drift wherever the current takes you, or... You can anchor your ship, and that's the solution. That's how you not drift, right? You anchor your ship. I love that imagery. And he says we have to anchor ourselves to something in particular. He tells us exactly what we should anchor our spiritual ship to, and that is to what we have heard, the gospel message, Christ's message, and that's the thrust of this paragraph. Yeah, that's so good. And then in verses 2 and 3, it seems like he's contrasting it Uh, with the message of the angels. And so two and three say this, for since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Yeah, that's the thrust of the book and the theme of the book here, that Jesus is greater than everything. So you just read us another contrast, and it's not quite as evident or easy to understand because we're a little bit removed from the original context. But I'll just fill it in briefly here. The first century Jews thought of angels as having a message, and uh, and the author of Hebrews is saying Jesus also has a message, and he's contrasting the two and saying Jesus' message is greater. So what was the message of the angels? What is that about? 
Well, the first century Jewish people thought of angels as being involved with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And they're not wrong. Acts 7.53 talks about the law being delivered by angels. And in general, angels are messengers. And in the Old Covenant, they're messengers of that covenant. So in Hebrews 2, 2 through 3, what you just read, the author is trying to tell us, listen, you realize that God expected you to listen to the angels in the olden days, right? In the Old Testament, when they uh, facilitated the delivering of the law, God expected you to listen to them, right? And he punished you when you didn't listen to them, right? And you can look at the Old Testament and see that's true. And then here's the, the kicker in the argument. Well, how much more then should you listen to God himself? Because, you know, the angels are great and glorious messengers of a great and glorious message, but Jesus is even greater, and his message is even greater. So, in simple terms, the angels delivered the law, and Jesus delivered the gospel. Mm -hmm. And he says, pay attention to it, anchor yourself to it, don't drift from it. Um, so, again, this is a little bit removed from our modern world, but maybe an analogy would help. Uh, picture it like this. So, Eric, if the governor or the president, let's remove politics for a second. Just mm -hmm. assume like the olden days, we, we love and respect our leaders. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's another topic for another podcast. But uh, just assuming that uh, if, if the governor or the president sent you a message by a messenger, you would pay attention, right? Yeah, of course. You would open that letter and you would read it really carefully. But if the president came to see you in person, what would you do? Like, you'd put down everything. You'd clear your calendar. You'd feel like your whole world was turning upside down. You you wouldn't be like, oh, well, I'm sorry. I've got this Netflix thing that I'm trying to binge. I've got this book I can't put down. Um, so that's, that's the kind of analogy we've got going on here in Hebrews 2. The analogy is the angels were just messengers of the king. Jesus is the king. And obviously, one is greater. So the original audience had high regard for angels, and that's good. But they're just intermediaries at the end of the day. They're just messengers. They're just emissaries. Um, as much as you respect angels, you should have even more respect for the one who's sending them, the Son of God, the real king. Now, what were their two messages? What We've kind of hinted at this, but let's contrast their two messages in particular. Yeah, right. So verse 4 then gives us additional reasons not to ignore God's message through Jesus. And I think that's what you're getting for here. Uh, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Yeah, so this message that Jesus has given us, the gospel, like we said earlier, uh, you know, it is given to us not as a fable or a myth or a legend, but it's given to us as something that happened in history that's absolutely true, that was witnessed, it says right here in verse 4, that was witnessed by people, you know, testif God testified to it by signs and wonders and miracles. And so, yeah, like the author of Hebrews is saying this message is greater and it is true. He's saying there are eyewitnesses out there. At the time this letter was written, eyewitnesses that you know and that I know. And so we're not just believing myths and legends. The gospel is about something that really happened and there's evidence for it. So the apostles preached that same thing, that same way. They said in Acts 2.22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. In other words, you know, God has given you plenty of reason to believe. 
Uh, we're not asking you to take a leap of faith into something that doesn't make any sense, but we're asking you to follow the evidence where it leads, and the evidence is that Jesus is the Son of God. And even Jesus himself in his ministry, he talked in the same exact way. John ten thirty eight, he said, Even though you don't believe me, that is my words, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. So that's good. I mean, there's good reason to believe, and that's kind of something I'm passionate about preaching. If you're listening to the podcast and you're wondering what Christianity is all about, if it makes sense, if you have to turn off your brain and believe myths and legends and lies, you don't. Jesus didn't expect you to do that. The early church didn't, and all throughout history. Mm. Uh, good churches have never asked you to do that. Yeah. So in sum, the message of Jesus, it demands to be heard, and based on who he is, he deserves to be heard. He is superior to the angels, he's superior to everything, and his message is superior to theirs as well. So that's the that's the bottom line for today. Don't drift away from the gospel. Yeah, and so, you know, we're super clear. What is that message? You know, I love you ask that. Um, you remind me, it's helpful being, you know, pastors of this church together. You remind me once in a while, hey, we have people here at this church who, you know, you mentioned the gospel. You, you got to tell them what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. And uh, people listening to this podcast, you know, we're talking about the gospel. What is the gospel? You know, well, I think the book of Hebrews does a pretty good job of laying it out in chapter two. For instance, in chapter two, verse 14, it says, since the children have flesh and blood, in other words, since you and I are human beings, uh, Jesus too, he shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. So the gospel is all about life and death, and we as humans had committed cosmic treason against the king of the universe, and the penalty for that was separation from God, separation from our source of life, and consequently, death. We deserve death for that rebellion against God. And Jesus came to die in our place. He became human so he could die in the place of humanity. And because of that, the penalty of sin is paid in full, and we no longer have to fear death, just like that verse just said. Um, But we can realize that it's just a way for us to be reunited with God our Father. And uh, I love this. This is the last verse we'll read today. I know this is kind of a lot, but uh, this is such a beautiful verse to end on. Hebrews 2.10 says that in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it's fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. And as we end today, I just want to zoom in on that one word. It is fitting. It's fitting that God did this. You know, people today, maybe even you listening to the podcast or watching, you're thinking, this is craziness. Like, the gospel, it doesn't make any sense. Like, what kind of God would kill his own son Mm. to be able to love somebody? And if you're hearing this for the first time, I understand. Like, Mm. it's pretty wild. (laughs) But I love that Hebrews 2.10 says, it's fitting that God worked out salvation this way. It's fitting because, you know, it reminds us that this is consistent. The gospel is consistent with his nature, his character. It's consistent with his wisdom, consistent with his holiness because sin demands uh, a payment. If you're just, you have to judge wrongdoing. Mm. If you don't, you're unjust, and that's not good. Uh, It's consistent with his holiness. It's consistent with his mercy and his love. The cross was fitting. The gospel is fitting to who God is, and that's the message 
that we stay anchored anchored to every day here at this church. Yeah, and you're saying that word anchored again. It kind of takes us full circle, right? It does. I mean, it, it seems like this is exactly why you feel so strongly about this message of of Hebrews, Pastor Bill. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like the currents of this world will drag each and every one of us away if we're not careful. So whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you've been a Christian a long time, we have to watch that we don't get drawn away. I read this quote today in the uh, Reformed Expository Commentary. It said, If you examined a hundred people who lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? In, a, in the matter of our belief, as in all other matters, Christianity requires hard work. The New Testament describes the life of faith as a fight, a race, and a field in which a farmer labors. Paul says in various places, I press on, I follow after, I strive, I fight. And so, listen, we're saved by grace, we're saved by faith, through our faith, uh, and only what Christ has accomplished, but we still have to fight the drift, and we still have to stay anchored to the gospel. Um, and maybe as the series goes on, we'll kind of contrast that with the fact that simultaneously, God is the one doing the act of salvation, and what he began, he will finish, and we will definitely fully and finally persevere if we're really in Christ. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, more great topics to come in this study. Really looking forward to uh, yeah. unpacking more mysterious and deep and meaningful things. Yeah, you bet. So coming up next week, we're going to continue our series by looking at how Jesus is superior to Moses and Joshua. He and he alone can provide us with rest. So be sure to uh, like and subscribe. We want to uh, have you connected with this podcast. Share it with somebody that you know. This is good good stuff today. You got to hear the gospel message. Share it with somebody who needs to hear this good news. Uh, and then join us again next week. We will see you then. All right. See ya.